I don't know about you, but it's been a crazy week for me. Yeah. I was trying to put together a story about, I'm going to spoil the surprise, but I think you already saw the book I was reading about ghost cats. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading, so I was reading that book, but I haven't finished yet. Yesterday, I realized that I wasn't going to finish and I wasn't going to get my story done for tonight. So I was like, oh crap. So I did piece something together, try to get to that. But first, let's just jump into it. And what do you have? Well, I will say real quick, ghost cats are worth the wait. (laughs) All right. So hopefully next week. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm about halfway through the book, so. Okay. So tonight, I have The Mysterious Death of Mary Rogers. Never heard of her. Her nickname was also Cigar Girl. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I don't think so. Okay, well, it was before your time, so that makes sense. (laughs) Mary was born in New York in 1820. She was five years old when her father had passed away, and after her father's death, her mother had earned a living by managing a boarding and lodging house in New Jersey. When Mary was old enough, she helped her mother at the house. It was noted that as Mary got older, she grew rather tall, had a beautiful complexion, and brunette hair. She had a charming personality, which made it easy for her to attract friends and admirers. She easily caught people's attention anywhere she went. And in 1840, a man named John Anderson, who had a large cigar store, had heard of her beauty and got the idea to employ her as a clerk and an attraction. Mary was 20 years old at the time. An attraction, huh? Yeah. All right. Anderson had offered the position to Mary, but she had never worked away from home, and her mother was reluctant to support this work since a lot of men that went through that store had unpleasant reputations. And her daughter was going to be an attraction. Yes, a prop. Yes. Mary was able to persuade her mom to allow her to work at the store. And as John Anderson suspected, her beauty and charm attracted customers. While she had good etiquette, she didn't hesitate to repel all unwanted advances. And I heard even including from John Anderson. Good for her. Yes. After 10 months of working in the store, Mary failed to show up one morning near the end of January 1841. The disappearance was reported to the authorities, and the press gave publicity to the mysterious disappearance of the now-famous Cigar Girl. Six days later, Mary returned in good health, but no longer appeared cheery. She claimed she was visiting relatives in the country, and her mother and employer had given the same explanation with no further details. Mysterious. Yeah, very weird. A few days after her return, rumors began to circulate that she was seen in New York with a tall naval officer during the time that she stated she was in the country. Once the rumors reached Mary, she resigned her position and went back to her mother's home. 
A month later, it was announced that she was engaged to be married to Daniel Payne, a young clerk that resided in her mother's house. On the morning of July 25, 1841, Mary knocked on her fiancé's door to let him know she was spending the day with her aunt, Mrs. Downing. Payne had replied, quote, All right, I'll call for you tonight, end quote. As the evening approached, a thunderstorm started to roll through. Payne spent the day away from home and believed that Mary had no desire to go home in a storm, so he did not call for her. After the storm had subsided the next day, Mary's mother expected her to have returned home during the day, but became alarmed when Mary failed to appear. When Payne came home to dinner, her mother informed him that Mary never came home, and without hesitation, he went to the home of Mrs. Downing, and to his surprise, he found out that Mary had never been there at all. Another mystery. Yes. So this wasn't just that she was missing, she disappeared. She was disappearing purposely. Yes. At least to this point. Yes. All right. The second disappearance created a greater stir than the first. For many days, there was no trace of her, but on Wednesday morning, some fishermen setting their nets off Castle Point, Hoboken, had found her mutilated body floating near the shore. Ew. Yeah. Her face was beaten to a pulp and swollen. A cord was tied around her waist, and a heavy stone was attached to the other end. A piece of lace was torn from her dress and wrapped around her neck just enough to cause strangulation. Her wrist had deep marks in her flesh from cords. Gloves were on her hands and a little bonnet loosely hung by the ribbons around her neck. Her clothing was torn and investigation revealed that she was assaulted before her death. Payne was interrogated by authorities, but when he gave an alibi that was satisfactory, he was discharged. A week had passed with no progress and the press began to criticize the police. I think it's interesting that even in the 1800s, police were being pressured by people to close cases. Why do you think they wouldn't? I don't know. Because <laughs> like, they definitely don't have the resources that we do now. Yeah. I don't know. Authorities issued an announcement that there would be an award paid for the arrest and conviction of the murderer. In addition to the reward, there would be a complete immunity and protection to those that had knowledge of the crime. This, of course, excluded the actual perpetrator. So the perpetrator couldn't get the reward? No. Okay, that's good. Yeah. The next day, the coroner received an anonymous letter. It was from someone claiming they had seen Mary in Hoboken on Sunday. They stated that while on a walk, they had seen a boat full of six rough-looking men and a well-dressed woman. They recognized the woman as Mary Rogers. Everyone had left the boat on the beach and went into the woods. It was noted that she appeared to go with the men willingly and was laughing. After they disappeared into the woods, a second boat pulled up with three well-dressed men in it. One of them asked two other men on the shore if they had seen a young woman and six men. When the man was told they had been on the beach, he had asked if they used violence towards the woman. When he was told no, he returned to the boat and headed for New York. The person who wrote the letter was never discovered, but it was printed in the papers, and the two men who were questioned on the beach came forward and corroborated the story. Where they sent a letter, 
So they didn't want the reward. Yeah. And they must have feared for their life. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe they were one of the six men. I don't know. Okay, yeah, possibly. I was just thinking, I was trying to figure out why they would send a letter rather than just going and telling somebody what they saw. Yeah. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. And why the coroner? Yeah. Because yeah, why not the police? Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. The men had recognized Mary Rogers by sight and said that she resembled the woman who entered the woods with the six men, but they stated they weren't close enough to positively identify her. Weird situation. Yeah. Several weeks later, another piece of evidence came from a stage driver named Adam that stated he had seen Mary arrive in Hoboken on Sunday at the Bulls Ferry. She was accompanied by a tall, well-dressed man of dark complexion. She went with him to a roadhouse known as Nick Mullins. Mrs. Loss, the owner of the house, remembered the man coming to her place with a young woman, and they had gone into the woods after. Not long after the two had left, she heard a woman screaming coming from the woods, but with such sounds being a frequent occurrence, she didn't think much about it. A frequent occurrence? That's what I thought. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't... How many people go missing? Yeah, I don't know. And why would you just like not think about it? Right. Time to move. (laughs) On September 25th, two months after the murder... The spot where it was assumed she was assaulted and butchered was discovered by Mrs. Loss's children. While playing in the woods, they had found a white petticoat, a silk scarf, and a parasol, and a linen handkerchief with the initials MR on it. There were signs of struggle around the area and what appeared to be a track that could have been made by the dragging of a body. It had led to the river and the belongings were identified as Mary's. Other efforts were made to find the tall, dark-complexioned man, but there was no success. So wait, so there was a report of six men and then a report of just a man? Yes. With her, okay. Daniel Payne never recovered from the shock and became an alcoholic. It affected his mind so much, and on October 7th, 1841, He drank a vial of poison, and his body was found at the spot in the woods where it was suspected that she was murdered. He left a note saying, quote, To the world, here I am on the very spot. May God forgive me for my misspent life, end quote. Well, that's sad. Yeah. Some suspected that this was his omission of guilt to the murder, while others felt he struggled losing his love. Hmm. Which I can see how it can be an admission. Really? Can you read that again, his note again? To the world, here I am on the very spot. May God forgive me for my misspent life. Hmm, I guess. I guess you could read that in many ways. Well, I think it being on the suspected spot, I don't know. Well, I mean, I... I can see how it can be interpreted that way, but I definitely feel like it was because he was struggling so much mentally. I guess it is interesting that he didn't really mention her at all in that note. Yeah. Or that he was killing himself because of what happened to her. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. A mystery. 
This case inspired Edgar Allan Poe's tale, The Mystery of Marie Roget. The murder mystery takes place in Paris, but resembles the events that transpired during Roger's life. Marie Roget, however, worked in a perfume store instead of a cigar store. Hmm. Not familiar with that. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. And allegedly he was a frequent customer of that specific cigar store she worked in. So Poe might have been the murderer. Yeah. Hmm. The plot thickens. Yes. Now, okay. No, go ahead. Now, I do have a quote, allegedly, that Poe wrote at the beginning of the story. Quote, the extraordinary details which I am now called upon to make public will be found to form, as regards sequence of time, the primary branch of a series of scarcely intelligible coincidences, whose secondary or concluding branch will be recognized by all readers in the late murder of Mary Rogers at New York. End quote. Interesting. And I have no idea what the hell he just said. (laughs) (laughs) To me, I took it as, you know, he was claiming that they're just coincidental. Right. Even though the name of the story and the (laughs) story itself. Yeah. uh, That's how I took it. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah. One more thing. If it couldn't get any weirder. After one of the lost boys had shot their mother and she started to experience delirium, she had mentioned that Rogers had a failed abortion, which was why she died, but there was no evidence of that. That that seems weird because she was beaten and mutilated, right? Yeah. And yeah. they would do that just to cover up? Yeah, that's... That's why I think it was confirmed that it wasn't an abortion. Right. So I don't know where, if it was like speculation that she had or what. You would think the coroner would have picked that up too. Yeah, you would think so. And also, why has no one, as far as I've seen, no one has suspected that one of the boys did it. Right. If they went and shot their own mom. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure, I don't know how old they were when they found the stuff in the woods, but I don't know. Just the fact that she was up to something because she was making excuses for why she was disappearing on occasion. Yeah. I mean, it seems like she was just involved in some suspicious activity. Yeah. Whether she got involved with somebody who wasn't as nice a person as she thought or just whatever. Yeah. But I guess that just adds to the mystery. Yeah. Very weird with all the events. Very sad. Yeah, very bizarre and very sad story. Definitely. Very weird the way they handled the case, it sounds like. Yeah. And very strange the information they were receiving. Yeah, especially the anonymous letter. Of course, that might be normal. The letter? No, well, just getting false leads and stuff like that. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the letter was definitely odd of why they sent a letter. Yeah. But like you said, if it was somebody involved, but then somebody else came forward and said it was just one person that was with her, not six guys. Yeah. 
I don't know. Weird, weird, weird. Weird. Yeah. I think I said that. I know, I was just repeating. <laughs> <laughs> so that is all I have. It is still unsolved, which I don't really see it becoming solved. Not this late. Yeah, yeah. considering it was 1840. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, that was a bizarre story. I honestly have no idea how long we've been sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did have another story that I put together, but I'll save that. Okay. But I will talk about the ghost cats next week. Promise. Nope, shouldn't promise. Yeah, no promises <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for joining us. Make sure to visit next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12 past 3 or email us at podcast at 12past3.com. Good night. Good night.